Hello everyone, my name is Christian Larsen. I'm the Deputy Chief Editor on the ERS Monograph. I'm very happy to also welcome Professor Michael Kreuter and Professor Thomas Wagner, who are two of the distinguished guest editors on the ERS Monograph on Rare Diseases of the Respiratory System, which we have the pleasure of hosting this podcast on. So welcome to the both of you. To begin with, the most recent ERS monograph on the topic was published in 2011. From your perspectives, what has been the major clinical and research breakthroughs in this period? Thomas, could we start with you? I would say, being the coordinator of the European Reference Network, that the creation of this European Reference Network for Rare Respiratory Diseases was the major breakthrough. But that's only a, a remark. Uh, the major progress has really been made in the field of genetic testing for many recent uh, advances in rare diseases. And of course, on the side of therapy, that is the advent of biologicals for treatment. We have lots of new treatment options for some of the rare diseases of the respiratory system although there are quite a few where we don't have a treatment yet, but we're working on this. Thank you, Thomas. Michael? Uh, first of all, I think we have to point out that it is a kind of a new century for rare lung diseases. Thomas, I think very nicely mentioned the RN lung, but I think it is even more. We have new diseases. We have more sophisticated diagnostic pathways for many, many diseases. We have many, many new guidelines for many rare lung diseases. I think something we were really missing until about 2010, 2011, the year we were speaking about, we have more drugs. We have new drugs for cystic fibrosis. We have new drugs for pulmonary fibrosis. Now we have drugs and in 2011, there was, for instance, the trial being published for lymphangulia for the use of serolibus and so on. We have uh, great collaborations nationalwise EU-wise, ERN lung, I think, is a great example for this, but also internationally and also interdisciplinary. We are working together with radiologists, with pathologists, with rheumatologists, with gastroenterologists, and so on. And I think that is, in my eyes, the major clinical breakthrough because we are more looking into not only the lungs, we are looking outside of the lungs together with other specialists in their fields. You're both mentioning the, the European Reference Network for Rare Diseases of the Respiratory System, and it's also mentioned in the introduction to the monograph as being really a pivotal breakthrough since the last monograph. To uh, listeners who are not familiar with the ERN lung, Thomas, can you briefly explain what is this reference network since it's been so pivotal? Yeah, in a nutshell, it's a a network of experts, and it's a network of the experts um, that have been identified in Europe, and they have all agreed to cooperate in a network and exchange their views, their experience, and their expertise. So the principal idea is that um, there's always someone who knows more about a rare disease than you yourself. And um, this is really what we experience uh, all the time in that network, that there are experts in this group um, who have enormous experience with uh, rare diseases that we can really profit from. And um, 
this is the idea that we can learn from those experts and uh, it's an inclusive network. If someone wants to join and we are cross-referencing and we are asking each other whether there's someone who knows better to tackle a difficult question. Michael? I think it is a great network for patients, but also with patients. And I think that is what it makes extremely important that it is patient-centered. Thank you so much. Uh, I know also my hospital also participates in ERN lung, and we also have some difficult cases which with non-rare diseases. And in that case, we don't have an ERN lung which we can ask for, for help. So what do you think other researchers and clinicians can learn from this type of network collaboration if we look to some of the lung diseases who are not included as part of the ERN lung? Thomas? Well, I think the major issue is that we are very open-minded and we are very happy if someone asks, either you are an expert and you feel comfortable in giving your or sharing your knowledge, or if you have a problem with your patient, you can be happy that there's someone who can help you. And even if all of the experts you get in contact with uh, don't have a solution to the problem, the feeling is much better after having this contact because then you know, okay, it's not a lack of my knowledge, but uh, the problem is really very difficult. So I think this networking and collaboration across borders and among experts is really very helpful for everyone, for the very, very expert and for the beginner because it's um, the best um, surrounding uh, for learning. Also, to elaborate more on this, we can look through the eyes of Goethe, who said, you only see what you know. I think that is one of the best sayings, and it supports what Thomas just said. If you meet together with people who have seen a lot, they have a lot of experience, especially in very rare things, and then perhaps uh, you take into account the support of artificial intelligence, then you will help people throughout the world. And I think that's the best thing to have a collaboration with experts in the fields, and every expert can add their own experience on that, their own views, and especially views on what they have seen. That is what I mean by view, so that we can come to the best solution for our patients. And I think that is what is the great strength of such collaborations. Michael, from my perspective, the ERS monograph is an excellent comprehensive overview of some of the respiratory diseases which are most challenging to diagnose, treat, and follow up. Apart from reading the monograph, what are your recommendations to young ERS members who want to increase their clinical skills and knowledge in this field, particularly if they are not working in a, in a highly specialized center next to skilled colleagues? I think we at ERS and we at ERN level, we are doing some great stuff in, in this uh, regard. So one example is the ERN Lung ERS Virtual School for Rare Lung Diseases. The next edition will be in January 2024, where we will meet with the experts, many of them are authors of our monograph, to give the newest advice. Also, just as an example, there's a school for um, interstitial lung diseases, which is being held once per year virtually, once per year on-site, now at the Lung Center in Mainz in Germany. This is not only the transfer of knowledge, it's also meeting the experts, discussing on the airways about what are the news insights and whatever, or I have a very difficult case. This is something we are doing not only in our country, we're doing this in many countries and also within year and level. We are meeting for case discussions of difficult cases 
and people are virtually connected to have a look at the CT scan or the newest lab results or the pathology, whatever. The pathologist explains what he or she is seeing the same for the radiologist. And I think that is what will bring our field forward to discuss. And that is also why I learned a lot, listening to the experts and then posing my questions. You both work in centers which are able to provide specialized care for, for patients with rare diseases of the vital system. But you also have to rely on less experienced and maybe more general respiratory physicians to identify these patients and then refer them to the specialized center. I think in the monograph, the two first chapters are excellent for providing some insights on how to identify these patients. But where do you, Thomas, see the biggest potential for possible improvement between the respiratory medicine generalist and the more specialist in rare diseases? Well, learning from the best is a good idea. But I think uh, if you look at the monograph, there are several things that you can take from the monograph because uh, there are the experts who have written the chapters. And if you go to them and you ask them, they will be happy to respond. If it is not in the text, it's more like presentation of those who could be of help. Uh, that is very important for those who, who are less experienced to know who could I ask uh, this question or who could I address to tackle my problem. And of course, we have an ear and lung, an academy where young people can be trained on the topic of rare diseases. But this is probably 30 or 40 people per year that can go through this training. But um, coming back to the monograph, I think there are quite a few resources in that book uh, that you can use uh, to improve your knowledge and then get in contact, see who in your country has been working on the same field, is he a member of ERN Lung, and then get in contact with those and get your own network of connections going to get the information you need. And uh, Michael, I think Thomas mentioned genetic testing and so on, and the more uh, wide availability to some of these tests, do you think that it also has the potential to maybe rediscover some of these diseases not being rare anymore, but more common simply due to the earlier identification of different types of the disease, which may not cause the patient to be as severely ill as the more rare cases that we see. Let me first respond to uh, making a parallel to lung cancer or to cancers. I think we identified in adenocarcinoma, the lungs now a lot of genetic alterations, which we can target now. But more and more, if these patients, for instance, don't have a targetable mutation, we discuss them in genetic tumor boards and we identify new drugs. So I think it is more the similarity between our drug treatment. And I think this is something we should also transfer from malignant lung diseases also to a bit more benign lung diseases, for instance, interstitial lung diseases or others. And another point is I think we will move more to phenotypes and endotypes in future, especially to endotypes or more genotypes in future. Perhaps we will not say it's a connective tissue disease, ILD, or cystic fibrosis. We will perhaps speak more about genetic alterations, which are then targetable, like liver and lung cancer. And I think that is the future in the field of rare diseases. From a patient perspective, you both mentioned that as being also a part of ERN, lung, and so on. But having a rare lung disease might prove particularly challenging apart from the support and help from patient organization and so on. So how do you support your patients in your everyday practice? And I would like to hear what you both personally do. So I could maybe begin with Thomas. Yeah, I think it's a very important issue and it is a major topic in our network. 
that uh, we have to really look at what are the needs um, and the unmet needs of patients. We are very happy to have a social worker and a psychologist in our team. So some of the questions can be tackled professionally and uh, the help to the patients is there from the beginning. But one of the aspects in our daily work in the network is that we always have to have the opinion and the point of view of our patients on the topics we discuss. So we hope we um, include patients in the process of developing our tools uh, to tackle problems, development of treatment. And it's um, no surprise that uh, today if we develop a a treatment plan for a clinical trial. Usually patients are involved in designing those trials so they really fit to the needs and the feasibilities uh, patients have. So I think it's very important to have patients involved in all of these steps. We have a significant shift in the setup of clinical trials. More or less it's nowadays mandatory to include patients. And I have learned a lot of that and I was involved in a couple of setups for clinical trials with this, because the view of the patients is very different from ours as the researchers. And I think we need to be more patient-centered because we are performing clinical trials for the patients for improvements of their therapies or diagnostics. And that's been working together with patient support groups since many, 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 many years or even decades now. What I learned is besides what Thomas already mentioned very nicely is that patients have also a view on things we as physicians do not have. They know where to get the best rehabilitation or where to buy the best, whatever are supportive measures these people need. So I think working very closely with the patients, listening to the patients, what their problems are, I think that is of utmost importance to all of us, especially also to our patients. Both of you previously also in this talk have mentioned how essential a multidisciplinary approach is in diagnosing, treating, and so on in these patients, but also in an everyday practice, which might be busy and it's not always possible to have full access to all multidisciplinary specialities. How do you do that in your everyday clinical practice? What is your approach, Thomas? It is very important to have a multidisciplinary approach in rare diseases because of the facets of the different problems the patient faces are very complex. And that's one of the reasons why it's necessary to have a center for rare diseases or for a special group of rare diseases where this multidisciplinarity can be a reality. And this is one of the reasons why we have an approach that we say, okay, the major steps are decided and planned together with the patient in the center. And then, of course, the practitioner uh, living where the patient is living, he can uh, or she can take over and manage care for the patient, but always in contact with the center. So it's um, necessary to have the background. Uh, many of the diseases we are talking about on multi-system diseases where you need uh, ear, nose, and throat a doctor and a pulmonary physician and a gastroenterologist. And so it's not so easy if you are just one of those to take on all of the problems. So I think it's very essential to have that available all the time. So let me add two short points. One is, for instance, 
in case where you're seeing a pulmonologist, a patient with asthma, then it's a horse. But once the patient does not respond to the treatment, we are knowing that it should work. And we should think of a zebra, meaning we should think apart out of the box. And then I think it is the time to discuss within the multidisciplinary team, whatever it is composed of. And uh, for this, to give you a second uh, point and example, in, in my new center in Mainz, we have a center for rare uh, diseases. And every member of this center meets to discuss rare diseases. So to bring in their different views on whatever. It is a children with whatever behavior, disease behavior, and it is uh, different from everything else. And everybody listens, and then perhaps he or she can add something. And that is what I learned. Uh, very recently as extremely helpful, but then, for instance, the best support or the best thought of what the disease could be is being given. My final question to both of you, and we can begin with Thomas's answer to it is because as mentioned in the beginning, it's more than 10 years time since the last monograph was published in this area. So if you were to predict in a new monograph in 10 years time in this area, what would you think would be the next breakthroughs in, in this area? Well, this is not an easy to predict um, answer from the scientific point of view, because we do not foresee into the future, like we mentioned earlier, that there is much uh, progress and we are very happy about it. And we certainly would have more therapy options in the future. So that's easy to predict. But um, of course, I will not be able to say how many new diseases will have new treatments. But I think uh, probably the most important issue on the European level is that there will be hopefully, and I'm very optimistic, significantly less differences as to the quality of care and availability of therapies across all European member states. And ERN Lung is really working on learning from the best and making available to all patients uh, what all these specialists have developed in kind of treatment or in diagnostic procedures. So there should not be much of a difference between European member states as far as the quality of care, the availability of therapies goes. And my hope and my expectation is that we will have less differences between European member states in the future. Christian very nicely mentioned that we are currently diagnosing rare diseases too late. So many of them, for instance, in for particular lung diseases, it is extremely advanced disease and there is no cure at all. So what I'm hoping for, and I think currently we are in, in a great situation in the changing treatment landscape for many diseases, perhaps we can even reverse all the diseases. For instance, pulmonary fibrosis. Perhaps we will be able in two to three years to stop such diseases and hopefully in 10, 15 years from now on, hopefully to reverse such diseases. We will find new treatments for other uh, diseases. However, what I'm hoping for much more is earlier diagnosis, what you mentioned, and perhaps even also prevention of such diseases. I think that would also be something and our colleagues from the pediatrics showed us how to do that or very early diagnosis for cystic fibrosis. So I think this will be the major breakthrough we hopefully will see in 10 years from now. Thank you so much for looking a bit into the future, even though it's a bit against the nature of a, of a researcher. To the end here, I will like to congratulate you both on the 
finished product of this new ERS monograph. I find it highly readable and really a pleasure to go through all these different chapters. And in this talk, of course, we've been having the helicopter perspective of this area. And if you look into the monograph with there, of course, there's many of these more specific details regarding each of the more rare diseases. So from my perspective, really go and read this monograph, no matter whether you're a young ERS member or you're a specialist within this area, because I find it quite useful also as a go-to guide in everyday clinical practice. So thank you to both of you for attending also this podcast and so on. And hopefully we'll be seeing an even better monograph in 10 years time with some major improvements in this area as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was a great pleasure.